Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 106 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we'll be recapping the epic Liverpool-Man City game, which didn't turn out as epic as we thought. Uh, look at Tyler's face right there if you're watching the video portion, and you'll know his exact reaction there. The Manchester United-Everton game, which actually turned out to be a pretty thrilling game, uh, six goals in total. And then uh, mentioning a couple of the other big results that happened in the Premier League, also giving a quick shout-out that we'll talk about later, uh, Miguel Almiron, Atlanta United's own Miguel Almiron, turning it up in the Premier League um, this past weekend. But we have to jump out and start off with the biggest game of the weekend or quote-unquote biggest one, Liverpool-Manchester City. Five goals in total here, but it was a very lopsided victory. City dominated. It was a City win, a City 4-1 win over Liverpool at Anfield. Shocking um, because I remember all of last season when we were recording the Premier Pod that – Liverpool, whenever they played at home, Tyler was like, I always back Liverpool at home. They're never going to lose. And then this season, I think this is three straight Premier League losses at home. And I I think I read a stat. Like this hasn't happened since like the 50s or the 60s or something like that. It's been a while for Liverpool um, for this poor run of results at home. And yeah, it was uh, I was watching that game and it was a tough game to watch because, you know, as good as Liverpool have been for the past couple of seasons, it's really shocking to see them play that badly in a big game because I, I haven't seen that in a while, I will say, in a while. It's literally been decades. So <laughs> and you're like, your stat was actually right. They haven't lost a game at home three times, like three home games in a row for like decades. And I believe Jeez. it was the 60s. But I mean, I went into this predicting... You know, it was gonna be a nil-nil. Yeah, I think that I said that on the last pod, and I was like, All <laughs> I right. backed. I thought Liverpool were gonna get the dub here too, <laughs> and it looked like we were correct because uh, in, in the first half, at least, it was nil-nil for the, for the longest part. Yeah, good. When the second half, guy to penalty and Rose, Rosie, dude. <laughs> okay, Gundogan thought he was kicking a field goal, and he <laughs> straight up, I mean, he got the three points, but not the goal, <laughs> but. For this game, it was it was very back and forth. I felt like City was dominant for the most part, and then Liverpool eventually caught up after they realized Gundogan missed. It's like, all right, we're still in this. We're still in this. We got this. And then, you know, ultimately Gundogan how somehow scored because he's on fire now. He's I believe this is like eighth or ninth goal yeah. of the season. Him and Suchek, like the best goal scoring mid. Him and McTominay. Him, Suchek, McTominay, and Gundogan are like low key like the most highest scoring goal goal scoring midfielders in the Premier League, which is who would have thought. To say. Gosh, but after that, that kind of really woke Liverpool up. And then, you know, Salah with, in my opinion, one of the, like the dives of the season <laughs> somehow got a penalty. And I was like, uh, okay, we'll take it. And then he slots it away. I was like, all right, we got a game on. It's 1 1. We got this. And then Ali's son, very uncharacteristically, twice makes two, two big errors, which leads straight to goals. Yeah. Just like poor clearances. Just not really thinking straight with the pass out from goal from the back like he plays out from the back all the time but he literally straight up just passed it to the man city players like back to back like in quick succession and led to two goals and just three one really quickly he was sick like ill literally oh. going into this game i think he may have not been 100 but like even then i'm like what happened <laughs> he he was pulling like a mingule, like a Karis. Like this literally gave me PTSD. And a lot of other Liverpool fans that I know were also thinking, it's like, what the Karis was that? Like, what what just happened? And it was like, did Sergio Ramos come at halftime and like concuss him? I was, <laughs> I was, 
it was very uncharacteristic of Allison to be doing this. And even the third, the fourth goal, which Phil Foden, like props to him, he had an amazing game. He basically shot it through Allison's hands. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Allison had one of those howler games. Um, he really did have like the worst game of his career, probably. Yeah. It kind of reminds game. me, like, I know De Gea's had a couple howlers since that World Cup, but his first, I guess, really shocking display was that first game in the World Cup against Portugal when he let in like a P roller for Ronaldo. And then um, I think there was another goal he let in that was really shocking. And then it just kind of spiraled for him. But I think they were saying, I, I think Tim Howard was on the. The broadcast, I, I believe it was him, but he was just talking about goalkeeping errors. And I think it was just one of those things he mentioned that maybe Ali Sun was just shot out of confidence once that first mistake went in and just couldn't regain himself, you know, and get back to, uh, you know, performing at a decent level that game. So I think it was one of those one-off games where it's just uh, the confidence was just shot out of, uh, out of Liverpool. Like Klopp, I felt like said it really well too, where he was saying, you know, maybe the first... The first mistake was because, you know, there weren't that many options for him and he wasn't he didn't think to just like clear it. But then like ultimately that's what led to that. And the second one is just, you know, mistake just passing it. But he's really saved us plenty of times on many occasions. And, you know, it's just the the one time he's made two mistakes. Mm -hmm. So we can't really, you know, put him down for that, for just making these two errors. And like, honestly, in such a big game, unfortunately, but you know what happens? People make mistakes. It's just you didn't expect it from Allison in this kind of game. But I felt like it was really rough for the Liverpool offense too because like they really had a decent game for the most part where the pressing was there, the intensity was there. This is a Liverpool side that I haven't seen for a while. I was like, oh, they're actually like trying at times. And I was I was kind of surprised of how intense like Henderson was. Like you know, this is the game that you want to go ham and and they they were but it was just at the very end like just it's just that last bit of finishing quality it just wasn't there once again and it really was just from a set piece that liverpool got its one goal and that's still not good enough i feel like that that's why liverpool weren't in this title race completely or if they were in it they weren't the favorites to win Mm -hmm. and i think even now this kind of solidifies them at only really aiming for top four at this point of the season because this loss kind of puts them a little too far from City. They're now currently 10 points behind with City with having a game on hand. And also just Liverpool, just they don't have momentum right now. And they still played Fabinho and Henderson at center back. So it's like, what do you expect? (laughs) I was going to say, I know Ben Davies started like their new center back. Uh, He started against Brighton and then obviously Brighton scored that little wacky goal um, to win, but... I think he was on the bench too, and they he it was interesting because Klopp ended up going for two midfielders, like the Fabinho Henderson partnership, then try to stick Ben Davies in there. But um I don't I think I, I would have gone I, I think I agree with Klopp there because I, I don't know if uh I don't know if you could trust Ben Davies in this uh this big of a game, especially considering like where they signed him from. I don't know if he would be ready. I think he would be I think he did the best option he had, which is to play your cards with the most experienced players you have and just kind of roll with that rather than chucking in like a, you know, he's a center back, but just chucking in some guy that's just signed here a couple of days ago, you know, or a week ago. Mm. I totally agree. Like, this is not the, the a good game to like kind of chuck even like the uh, academy center backs in. It's like, yeah. They're just not ready. It's just, especially with the way Pep Guardiola plays, it's just, unless you're really well seasoned with 
the Klopp ganging press is like it's not gonna work. It's just gonna be exposed. It's just gonna be Dejan Lovren 2.0, and it's just gonna be holes everywhere. But I really think it's now kind of Liverpool just kind of accepting that this is not gonna be their season. We've been pretty bad champions, as Roy Keane said, <laughs> in one of uh, his post game interviews. But I think. This is just one of those times where it's like, you know, we didn't have the players in the center back position. Like our our offense is not really clicking. And I think it's just kind of to accept that and then just hopefully get Champions League this yeah. season. Like that's crazy to even say where it's yeah, like we went from being champions to basically. It's is like, it? yeah, we're, we could lose it to like Chelsea at this point mm-hmm. or I don't know, West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> so we just have to keep trucking. Hopefully those players come back. Diogo Jota is actually anticipated to come back very soon. Yeah, who'd have thought like that? Who'd have thought that signing from Wolves is probably probably one of their most major players that they missed out the most? Because I feel like when he was still in the lineup, you guys are still chugging along a decent bit, and then when he went out, the goal scoring went away, sort of, and then now you're in this big rut. So maybe he could have been the the person that's kind of been low key one of the key or like one of the key pieces that Liverpool needed to, you know, advance their season. And get things mm-hmm. back on track. And even having uh, Nabi Keita also, he's on track to come back in the next couple of weeks as well. So, how do you that, get injured? I, I don't know. He's <laughs> he literally gets injured, and then we don't even know he's injured <laughs> until it's like, oh, oh, he's not playing. Oh, he's not even on the bench. What? How? What? So, literally, that's I feel like the relationship, at least as a liberal fan, I've had of Nabi Keita. Where it's like when he's there, he's there, and it's, it's really good. But then when he's not there, it's like, oh, he. How did he get injured? When did he get injured? <laughs> so now he's going to be back. And I think that'll help with the creativity. And ironically enough, with Keita's injuries throughout the season, and even last season, it's really helped Curtis Jones kind of come up from the ranks because we really needed someone to fill that gap, that kind of creativity gap, and also kind kind of be like a hybrid between like a Jordan Henderson and like a Genie Wijnaldum. And that's really Curtis Jones to me. Like Curtis Jones has surprisingly, you know, chipped in the goals here and there. He's been the guy who's sometimes unlocked the defense and he's pretty solid on the ball in terms of ball retention too. So yeah, he look, for an he academy pretty, product, he like decent for uh, in this game, he, look, he had yeah. some decent moments. Some pretty so good moments. I, it's, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise that, you know, Curtis Jones got all this, free not free playing time but just from opportunities has popped up but Mm -hmm. now hopefully with Keita coming back Diogo Jota coming back that competition will be back and that will help kind of boost everyone else around them too where it's like all right now we can't actually slack and if you know they do step up then hopefully that helps us stay in that top four race because it's so close like literally Chelsea are one point behind Liverpool now crazy and they can literally find themselves in Europa League and that'll be awful yeah (laughs) it's like what the heck i i still think i still think overall i think they'll finish in the top four but i do agree with tyler that i think after this defeat i i the the gap is just too much for them to challenge for the title even in this wacky season i i think at this point it's it's too it's too far gone um but yeah liverpool it was not it was not one of those vintage liverpool displays on the club it was kind of uh it was just a it was a really shocking display but we were to flip it over to City and in terms like the reason it was shocking is because City played really well. And one player that stood out is obviously Gundogan, but obviously Phil Foden. 
um, their huge young English talent that has pretty much taken the next step to being like a superstar almost. Like he's p- playing really, really well. And I remember a couple of seasons back, I remember the conversation was like, everyone was like, and even I agreed. I was like, this guy needs to go out on loan and like, you know, go play, get some like actual playing time instead of playing for like these like garbage time minutes, like in the 80th minute when they were winning already three nil or four nil, you know, uh, during those title winning seasons. But they didn't loan him out. He stayed under tutelage of Pep, learned under David Silva, learned under some of these great, you know, players on that Man City have had. And I think they're they're the the fruits of the labor are paying off because Phil Foden is kind of turning into that star and basically turning into David Silva again. They found another David Silva who they always pinned him as being like the David Silva replacement, but he's doing it. He's scoring goals, he's creating chances, he's uh he's really skillful. I mean, he's kind of got it all. So you know, coming from a United fan, it does hurt to say like this guy's they've got a good player, but they they definitely do have a star and Phil Foden, and uh, they've done a good job of developing him. But man, it is depressing to see City kind of running away with the title again, especially because during this COVID times, they spent like half a billion on their defense again, getting Ruben Diaz, Nathan Ake, who we don't even see. I mean, I'm I'm sure he's injured, but Nathan Ake is not even a star center back for them. It's it's John Stones and Ruben Diaz. Jao Cancelo has basically taken over Kyle Walker's spot as like the starting right back. Um, the left back is kind of hit and miss with Mendy and Zenchenko and just kind of random players they throw out there. But musical man, chairs over there, <laughs> yeah, literally music musical chairs. But man, they um, City got away playing. They spent a ton of money on their defense again, and they're going back and winning a title. So it's a little annoying at that sense because. It's almost like they don't play by the rules, quote unquote. You know, they they can still have all this money even during these trying times for a lot of other clubs that don't have all this money, but they're still able to spend it. And, you know, they have Pep, who's one of the best managers in the world. And now they're back on top of the league by, I think they're leading by four or five points or no, by four points. And they have a game in hand as well. So they're just, they're steamrolling right now. And I don't think it's going to be hard to see which team will actually stop them at this point. I honestly think they're just going to keep going. And as a Liverpool fan, like a lot of people have asked me, it's like, you know, Liverpool ain't going to win it this year. Who would you rather win, City or Man U? I'm like, it's like asking, like, which is worse? <laughs> it's like, what do you hate more? It's like, I don't know. I kind of don't want to see either of them win, but it, it looks like it, they're going to win. See, but, I, I will say this from last season. Um, as much as I do not like Liverpool, I would have preferred Liverpool. I'm glad Liverpool won over Man City because um, I just dislike city like there's a lot of clubs i dislike like city and chelsea are probably like one of the top two i just i don't know i just can't i just can't stand those two clubs for some reason i think it's probably because of the the just like the unlimited money they get every season to just like splash on players all the time yeah i honestly wouldn't want chelsea win either just because i feel like if they win it's like a statement where it's like yes this kind of toxic environment can win you a trophy it's like no (laughs) No, and then for City to win, it's like money can win you trophies. It's like, oh, yeah, because that, meanwhile, Man they- U is just annoying. <laughs> it's just for me personally, it's just Man U is the closest rival in terms of trophies and history mm-hmm. to Liverpool. So for Liver for Liverpool or Man U to win trophies, either one, it really kind of makes that rivalry even bigger, and then kind of stacks. Well, for City, it's just like, yeah, of course, money won, <laughs> so it's not really as big of a deal. And to be honest, at least personally, I don't really have that many Man City fans yeah, that I, I know that I are friends. I actually don't think I have a Man City fan. Maybe I have one, but that's about it. 
to be honest. Yeah, it's like, and they're just like very casual. It's just like, uh, yeah, I just, you know, started watching Premier League once and, you know, they're the best team at the moment. So I was like, now nah, I'm a Man City fan. It's like, that's why like their fan base is like makes fun of the most because they literally <laughs> had the most like Chelsea are rent boys, but literally Man City fans are like stereotypically the bandwagons. <laughs> they, they literally just here just because like they just came in at this particular time. So they don't really have too many historical fans, but mm-hmm. you know, I will say that I know there are definitely like Man City hardcore fans from like before the, the Arab money came in, but those are way more rare. Like yeah. at, unless you're literally in Manchester, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not going to see him walk in the streets <laughs> <laughs> and anywhere I, else. And I, it's also so annoying too. I, I mentioned this earlier, but I just hate the fact that they, since Pep Guardiola has been there, they pretty much spent like half a billion dollars on their defense, literally just on their defense getting, I remember the season they got Kyle Walker and Benjamin Mendy, and then they got Americ Laporte. Then they spent a lot of money on John Stones and they spent a lot of money on Ruben Diaz, then Nathan Ake, then they get Zinchenko. And then like, they bought Aderson, obviously the goalkeeper. It's just, it's exhausting, and it's, it's like frustrating because it's like almost like we got we got PSG in the background, you know, in the Premier League, just like <laughs> buying everyone, you know. That's why I mean we don't have this on the rundown, but uh, I mean Newcastle could have almost been like a second Man City. It's yeah. like, did we really want to mm-hmm. at this point? It's like. I don't know. It, it seemed like a fun idea, but now I'm kind of thinking it's like, all right, I'm kind of glad that it yeah. got rejected. Like in retrospect, like in hindsight, like I know hindsight is 2020, like, you know, that joke or whatever, but in hindsight, that's probably the, it's probably the best thing Premier League owners like uh, rejected the, or vetoed the move because um, if you have a club like that, that's just getting this big influx of money and then they just go out and buy their way through everything. And then it just, it just ruins the balance of power and kind of makes it unfair <laughs> for a lot of, uh, for clubs like even Manchester United that make, I know they have terrible owners. Their owners actually, their owners are actually the same. They own Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just won the Super Bowl. So it's funny that the, they spend more time and money and resources on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than they ever did on Manchester United. We'll leave that there for another episode. But um, they're not the best owners. But even Ed Woodward said that during because of the pandemic, they couldn't. Sp- they, that's why they didn't spend a hundred mil or hundred twenty mil on Jaden Sancho. They're like, we can't afford this. Like, we just can't. And like, they didn't. Like, United would have bought him if they if you, Dortmund lowered the price, but they didn't. They didn't em- ended up getting him, so they had to get Cavani on a. You know, they had to get Alex Telles on like a cheaper deal. That's why they didn't get Regulon. They had to. You know, they bought like sort of bargain ish buys you can get in twenty twenty. You know, and Liverpool did the same with not going, they bought Diago on a free contract, you know, and they pay his salaries like that. And they got Jota on a decent deal um, and other players like that. And Chelsea and Man City, on the other hand, just spent like crazy amounts of money on this whole new squad, barely sold anyone. And it's a little frustrating because then you have a club like Arsenal who literally had to be super resourceful with how they sell and how they buy. Like they had to sell, um, Emiliano Martinez to fund the resource, fund like fund the money to buy Partey, you know? So you get it, like a club like Arsenal, which is like one of the biggest clubs in the world has to do stuff like that to make the finances work. And then you got Man City and Chelsea who just splashed 230 mil every summer. And it's like, you know, it's kind of normal business, you know? This is the uh, portion of the pod where <laughs> the Liverpool and Man U fan just vent their frustrations on <laughs> <laughs> having owners that don't have the money to s- splash but even that's for Liverpool too like you know Liverpool I feel like they have the money it's just 
financially, it doesn't make sense to like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to spend so much money and not have fans to help, you know, regenerate the revenue or even have like the publicity that you would have in a normal season. Like that's why Liverpool aren't spending money. Yeah. At least that I know of. But yeah, you know, for Man City, it's like it's no different. It's like no fans has fans. It's just it's same old, same old. It's like, what the heck? It's like the argument, like if you have $600 in your bank account, and that's all you have. And it's like, should I get a PS5? And yeah, technically you could afford it for 500 bucks. But is it the best thing and like smartest thing for you to do with your money? Probably not. And I feel like these clubs like uh, Manchester United, Liverpool are kind of in the same boat where they have probably have enough money to buy some of the big name players. But it's like, OK, if we do it, we probably won't recoup that money in a while, you know. So it's uh, kind of the same argument there. But, you know, we've ranted. I, I feel like we've ranted about that before, about uh, some like City and Chelsea just having unlimited cash to burn, you know, just luxury picks all over the place and stuff like that. So, you know. That was kind of like my mini rant on City, and I, it's just frustrating to see that they might actually run away with the title again. Um, but yeah, they they picked up a four one win um, at Anfield against Liverpool. It was a big win. But moving on to the Manchester United Everton game, uh, six goals in total, a three three game. And I wanted to point this out, a this sort of um, comparison I have for this Manchester United side. I wrote on the rundown. This Manchester United team remind me of the 2013-2014 Liverpool side because. They are very, very good at scoring goals. They score a ton of goals, but defensively, they're just not there. The solitude that you need to win titles in terms of like that, you know, that compactness to win titles is, isn't there. That focus level on defense, I still feel like is lacking. There's still a lot of times when I watch Manchester United, they just kind of drop off way too many times. It's like the line isn't there. They don't move in like a unit half the time. Um, it's still kind of, in a lot of ways, like all over the place. Uh, it's gotten better, but it's still kind of all over the place. And in a lot of ways, I feel like the defense is just so unserious all the time. And when Liverpool were kind of gunning for the title at that season, I feel like it was the same way where they had a star player like Suarez kind of carrying the team, scoring all the goals. And, you know, he was help creating chances for everyone else. But defensively, they just weren't there. You know, they just let in, you know, stupid goals, silly goals, silly mistakes. And I feel like United are kind of in that same boat where it's a lot of the silly mistakes that are costing them because really I've never seen United give up a two nil lead at home like that. Usually when United are up two nil at old Trafford, it's like, okay, pretty much have the dub in hand. Like they're not going to get, they're not going to give this one up. They gave away two goals in a span of like four minutes. And then they almost led in the third goal when Maguire just fell down to the ground, hoping for a foul. And luckily like Richarlison missed a shot. And then Obviously, McTominay scores a goal. They make it 3-2. But when it gets 3-2, the defense and everyone should be really be doing their job focused on getting the win. And that's all you need to know. And then they give up a foul pretty much in the last, literally the last second. And Everton whipping a free kick and Calvert-Lewin scores the equalizer literally at the last minute. Last second, I would say. So it's little things like that that I've been seeing, a reoccurring theme that I've been seeing this entire season where it's, they either get a lead, but they're not confident enough to really hold on to it. And they make a lot of silly errors and a lot of silly mistakes. Um, and it, it's just those things that are costing them the points that they need to, if they want to keep fighting for the title. But I, I wanted to point that analogy out there because this game was pretty much an embodiment of, uh, of that, of that, of that theme. You know, you, you score the great goals, you score the beautiful goals, and then you let in like some really um, head scratching ones, I would say. <laughs> That's a really good analogy. It really did remind me of, especially even against, well, at least no one got injured on Man U. 
from yeah. an Everton game because <laughs> I feel like that happens every time. Oh gosh, <laughs> Liverpool face Everton like in the next two weeks. Oh, gotta pray. But at least for this game, Bruno Fernandez he really was on fire, and I felt like man, you should have closed out this game. And like you, like you literally said it yourself, like Bruno Fernandez just says. He scored like, like the, the master. He scored like one of the most nonchalant, like best goals I've ever seen in my life. Like literally, he just—I've never seen a professional player just hit it. Like he was literally standing still and was like, "All right, you know what? I'm just gonna go. You know, I'm just gonna like just hit it over there and see like what happens." And he just hits it and it like bends into the into the far left corner. And he's honestly—I feel like he's honestly like. There's a part of me that that also believes that he thought that was going to go in, but also a bit of shock, like, holy crap, that went in. And it was like his celebration mm-hmm. was like a mixture of the both. And I just, I've never seen a player do that. I've never witnessed a player just like nonchalantly just see the, just like see the ball, kick it, and just assume that it's just going to go in. It was just uh, incredible. I, I was like, I, I was literally, like that was one of the best goals I've seen. It was really I good. feel like more teams got to respect Bruno Fernandes because like even Everton kind of, <laughs> laid off on him they only had tom davies on him if i remember correctly and then literally all bruno fernandez had to do to get some space was just fake a shot like just literally <laughs> just jab step and then he's like oh i got space and he just literally picked a spot on the goal and then it's like i'm just gonna put the ball there and then like a chaos ball just flies over olsen the keeper and then into like the top left corner from the opposite side of the pitch or opposite side of the goal box it really made no sense it was like a between a cross and a shot and a long shot. But I mean, that's the thing about Bruno Fernandez. Is I feel like he's at a different level compared to everyone else. And that's why, man, you are just being backpacked by Bruno Fernandez. Yeah. But as you said, though, the defense is just not there. They have the leader, I feel like, in Maguire. But he's still not fully developed to be that leader yet. It's kind yeah. of like early Henderson where you, you don't have the guy to really push your team to you know close out a game. Or he he's not really developed enough to like you know yell at Lindelof. He's like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> like, we ain't gonna let in this goal. And then you know it still happens. So mm-hmm. maybe they're a player or a transfer away, or just you know. Yeah, I definitely think they, they definitely need a new uh, new center back to pair with Maguire because uh, Bailly's awesome, but he just can't stay fit. Um, he just keeps getting injured. And Lindelof, I, I had high hopes for Lindelof, but he just hasn't uh, he hasn't really taken that next step in terms of developing into a top really like top quality uh, center half. He has his moments, but nowhere near consistent enough, I would say. Um, but I will say if they did take Maguire out of the lineup, I know a lot of United fans, oh, Maguire's like this fridge that can't move. And like, yeah, in certain cases that's true. But if you were to take him out of the lineup, I think this defense would be actually like legitimately awful if you took Maguire out of the lineup. Like, yeah, Maguire has the deficiencies, but if he's not there, he kind of papers over some of the cracks. But if he's not there, this defense will kind of fall apart, I would say. Yeah, he is he is that vocal leader and you do really need that, especially yeah. in defense. Like every every team has one. And even like Man City, like it, you can really see how important it is with Ruben Diaz in now. Because mm-hmm. like that's something like even Justin, I didn't even realize when Ruben Diaz came in. He, he was like, Oh, he's actually a vocal leader. He's not just some youth <laughs> Portuguese player that just <laughs> has a lot of potential. It's like, no, he's actually like a guy who keeps everyone accountable. And I feel like it's just maybe Maguire doesn't have that respect or accountability yet because you know he has quite the track record for being a little naughty and also making his own mistakes but once he <laughs> you know gets his act together then you know he'll get the respect from the other team like the other teammates and then maybe having another center back besides Lindelof and Bailey or by 
Bailey. No, Bailey. What am I trying to say? Bailey. <laughs> I'm playing too much FIFA and using Leon Bailey, but <laughs> having just like another center back there just to really kind of accompany Maguire a little better, I think mm-hmm. that'll also help. But I, I think Man U are not too far off. Like they're literally just missing one or two pieces in that defense and then they're fine. Yeah. But, it's uh I, I will say Luke Shaw has definitely he's definitely taken the next step in terms of his career. He's playing a lot better. Aaron Wambasaka is still pretty it's still a solid defender. I know he has his times where he kind of switches off a little bit, but he's still a solid defender. But I, I think it's that center back piece. And um I do feel bad for De Gea because there's a lot of uh there's just a lot of like uh, shots that go in towards him and it's it could be really preventable if the defense or the defenders would just close on you know these attackers and stop letting in like shots coming in at literally two yards in front of him. Um, so I do feel bad because De Gea has come up with some pretty big saves here and there and he has let in some really questionable goals. So uh, I think it's a combination of everything in the back line. But um, like Tyler said, I do agree with him that I think they they're probably a couple... Really, I think they're one piece away. I think if they have the center back, then I, I think they can really kind of be super legitimate. But overall, I mean, they score a ton of goals. They'll they'll keep scoring goals. And, you know, it's going to be one of those things probably where they just have to hope they score more than they concede at this point. <laughs> I, I'll tell you this, yes. Like when Van Dyke came in, it was like when Thanos got the final like freaking Infinity Stone and just <laughs> put it onto his gauntlet. And then it was just like it just clicked. All of a sudden, we just stopped conceding goals. Yeah. It was just like, what the heck happened? So, honestly, if <laughs> man, you find that kind of player, it's kind of like how they just picked up Bruno Fernandez and it was like, all of a sudden, now they're scoring a ton. It's like, it, they can just find, I mean, it's so hard. Like, obviously, it feels easy. Everyone's like, yeah, just do it. But, <laughs> I mean, once they figure it out, yeah, just I mean, transform it just like that. Yeah. Then I'll be really sad. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, that was the, that was the Manchester United Everton game. I wanted to quickly mention the day we're recording this Tuesday, they beat West Ham in the fifth round, I believe. Of the FA Cup, um, they beat them one 0 in extra time, so they are now advancing to the next stages of the FA Cup. Still waiting on who they will draw, so it's a been you know one kind of disappointing uh, weekend to a pretty good result in the FA Cup. But moving on to Aston Villa Arsenal game, uh, Villa picked up a one 0 win over Arsenal. What's important here is that they have now done the double over Arsenal this season, which is kind of crazy that uh, Aston Aston Villa were able to do it because they've low key beaten some pretty good teams. They beat Liverpool seven two, which is crazy you know you would think 7-2 would probably be the craziest result of the Premier League but not this season this season was like hold my beer Premier League was like hold my beer and they're like 9-0 like all over the place but Villa pulled the double um it was funny because Emiliano Martinez like came up with some pretty big saves for Villa and I was the keeper Arsenal sold and they had to use I think Gunnar Soren uh, well, how do you say? Or runner, runners. Yeah. That backup goalkeeper. Yeah. They had to use him because obviously Bern Leno did like one of the dumbest goalkeeping mistakes of all time and like try to handball it outside of his uh, own penalty box. But yeah. And then I wanted to mention Willian because I, I've heard a lot of uh, Arsenal people on Twitter uh, really annoyed at Willian because they're like, this guy, it has to be like one of the worst signings of all time. Like we basically gave him free money to do nothing. And to be fair, he had really hasn't done nothing. He has done since that first game at Fulham. He has done nothing since then for Arsenal, and he's getting paid a decent amount of money right now. They just dropped the loan, or wait, no, it's a transfer. Yeah, it's, free transfer. They got duped. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny because I think a lot of Chelsea fans were like, "We told you guys that what you guys were going to get was not. Uh, it, it wasn't going to be good." <laughs> it's like old man Willian. Just all he got is the afro, and that's yeah. it. Who did it? Didn't what? they sign like that? Uh, they signed Lichsteiner, right? One season. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. Arsenal signed Lichtsteiner, the right back from, I believe, was it Juve? Juve? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was way back. And he was not that great either. Yeah. So Before it- he went to, to Arsenal, he was good. But, you know, it was old man Lichtsteiner. And now it's old man Willian. And we're learning FIFA's kind of right when it comes to the age depletion of a player. Because when a player hits like 33 or something in FIFA, it's just like, oh, all of a sudden they lose 10 pace, can't dribble, can't shoot. <laughs> so I think this is literally happening in real life with Willie Ann. He's kind of just proving the point. But I do want to say, like to Aston Villa, they've been going crazy this season. Like I feel like so far they are my pick for most improved team, like by far, yeah, and also surprise of the season. Relegation by one point last season. From some cheese too, like they, yeah. <laughs> they had some VAR calls against them that should have been called, but then they're like, "Nah, we didn't see it." <laughs> no, just cover their eyes, but they got away with it, and then they they now added some really good pieces in the uh, in the transfer window. Mm-hmm. Like they're really making a stride to really helping Jack Relish. Yeah, they got Watkins, and they got Barkley, and then they Matty Cash, the fullback, and then they got who is the who who else am I missing? Um, in terms of their their summer summer side, well, just Emiliano Martinez yeah. is probably no, like the key one, one for me. And then, hmm. I feel like they're also their midfielders have stepped up too, like Douglas Louise and John McGinn. They were pretty solid last season, especially John McGinn. But they John McGinn has stayed healthy, and Douglas Louise looks like a player in terms of the midfield. He, I really like him as a as a midfielder. I think he does a really good job of uh, breaking up play and just you know being a good passer. He's just a really good midfielder. Even people are saying Man City should look to try to get him back as a replacement <laughs> for uh, Fernandinho, who's Another also Brazilian. getting up there in the old. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I feel like Aston Villa, they're at a point now where they built a pretty good squad. Yeah. And if they can keep Jack Relish. I mean, they signed like him to a long term deal this past summer because the whole this past summer, it was like, oh, he's going to go to Manchester United. And then they, he signed a brand new deal that was locked him in place in Villa. So they got a good foundation. Yeah, and I honestly think at this rate, if they just get a few more pieces just to improve depth, like I wouldn't be surprised if they could also challenge. What who would have thought? Like top six, or even go for a Europa League spot? Because like it's not too surprising. He's done a good job there. Mm -hmm. So credit to Villa. Unfortunately for Arsenal, it's just same old, same old. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez Louise, guys. Well, at least you have Odegaard now, so. Yeah, but we'll he barely plays. He's barely played yet, which is weird. I know, but I it's feel like in two games. I feel like he definitely needs to get into the lineup to make a more of an impact for Arsenal because he's a he's a quality player. He's a really quality player, and I want to see him in the Premier League more. But yeah, unfortunately for Arsenal, it was not a it was not a good day losing one 0 like that. But a result that we wanted to mention out was uh, a couple players that we had we were watching or have an eye on during our entire season, the Premier League uh, was this uh, Newcastle Southampton matchup, which Newcastle won three, two who would have thought Newcastle would score three goals, but it was Atlanta United's very own Miguel Almiron. He scored a brace in this game and it was really nice to see because any Atlanta United fan who doesn't even watch the Premier League, just Atlanta United fans in general, I think they really, really love when Miguel Almiron plays and when he also performs well, because it kind of, uh, um, it's, it's just like one of those, like, oh, he's one of our own, you know, he, we, like, he, we like, you know, built him up and then we like, you know, he went somewhere else and now he's performing. So it's always nice when Almiron scores cause it kind of makes the MLS and, uh, Atlanta United proud whenever he does, uh, bag a couple goals. It was a very proud moment. Cause it's also the first time I feel like Newcastle 
played him in a central position with two strikers up top with with Alan St. Maxim at striker. And I was like, that's a very FIFA move. And <laughs> Callum Wilson on his right. So he really had Almiron in his preferred position, not out wide, just as a pace player. But, yeah, you know, it's yeah, pace merchant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> literally Almiron was put in his preferred position. He like kind of rewarded them for that. And he got two goals. Well, the first one I'd say was kind of lucky, not going to lie, because it was a big deflection. But the second one, it was just from Pierre Almiron, just the high press they had since Atlanta United days and just slotted in near post, which was very clean. But I also did want to mention in this game, Takumi Minamino made his debut for Southampton, started and scored his first goal. And I that just made me happy, but also cry at the same time because I was thinking, geez, Liverpool, let him go. I gave my, you know, remarks for why they did it and why it's a good thing for him. But same time, I'm like, man, we could have could have used him, <laughs> could have used him for that city game. But, you know, I'm glad he he made a pretty good impact and played like basically the whole game against Newcastle. So that shows that he has he has the stamina. He has everything he needs to be a good player. It's just now just keeping this result and keeping this mojo going while at Southampton. And I think he's going to have a starting spot in that starting 11 for hopefully the rest of the season if he just keeps this kind of form up because he's a very promising player and a lot of people have already been saying it's like how do we not give this guy a chance like he's literally not like insane it's insane though. but like it's he's very promising money and sala on the wings that's true too like so that's wingers in uh in, in europe you know it's i tough. just hope we don't sell him for Ooh, like you know? a profit or something oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure they know what they do what they're doing they're probably they they probably know like you know this guy is going to be an important player in the future. So hopefully for Liverpool's sake he's he's still there and such. But you know it was a pretty mm-hmm. good goal that he scored. But Southampton they weren't able to bounce back from that nine nil win. They lost again. <laughs> um, it probably takes history a little, repeats. Yeah, history repeats again for Hazen Hoodle. Maybe maybe he'll have to like beat Liverpool again and cry on the ground. <laughs> but uh, moving on to the Sheffield United Chelsea matchup. Chelsea winning again. Um, winning 2-1, Thomas Tuchel's kind of been on fire recently with Chelsea, the new manager bounce, as we like to always point out. And I wanted to put this question out. Tyler, do you think this new manager bounce is going to be as insane as it was for Manchester United when Solskjaer came, when they basically won, I think it was like 14 or 12 in a row? Or, yeah, it was it was just an insane amount, like an insane unbeaten streak. Or do you think this is not sustainable and Thomas Tuchel would eventually mess up and this Chelsea slide will slip up a little bit? Or do you think it's going to be the Solskjaer, um, always on the wheel type of run that they're going to go through? For me, historically, Chelsea have had that bump here and there whenever they do get the new manager. And it usually works, unfortunately. But I don't know. Thomas Tuchel is a little different. I feel like he has more of a tactical Tishan's mind where it'll take more time for the team to develop to how he's playing and what how he wants to play so it's honestly for me it's actually surprising that Chelsea are doing this well so early with him because yeah. I felt like I thought there'd be a little bit more time needed for his tactics his tactics to really flourish so I mean credits to him also for really bringing out the most of the players that we thought would have a slight drop off like Mason Mount and the sun is still there he has a new dad. He's actually playing. He's actually playing pretty regularly. And like one person, mm-hmm. I thought Pulisic would be playing more, but he hasn't. He's missed. I think he missed last game for personal reasons, but he hasn't started. I don't think yet under Tuchel. 
Yeah, but even off the bench, he's made an impact. I feel like every player Tuchel's played, and even in the new formation of having three in the back again, has really benefited Aspilicueta, who's scored a goal of all, Dude, he's of like all the, things. He's like, uh, like, you know, back in the day in FIFA, like Ultimate Team, where like players had like a formation like attached to their name. Oh, yeah. Oh, And geez. I feel like for Aspilicueta, it's like always the back three. Like that's his like go. Like if... Like Aspilicueta plays the best when he's in a back three. Like that's where you see like the best version of Aspilicueta. And then now it's literally even brought back Marcos Alonso from the yeah, grade. I thought and he scored too. Dude, I, that guy always seems to always find a way to like warm a manager's like a new manager's heart because like, oh, this guy can like score free kicks from the left back position. We should play him more. And then eventually well, he's he gets a, cut out. <laughs> he's like a really high scoring left back. Yeah. Or I mean, he goes really high up a lot and I don't know why no one can ever stop him. And I don't know why they stop playing him all the time. Like, I feel like every time he plays, like, good things happen for him. So, and then they, they, he also brought back Rudiger in the past, uh, last Yeah, also, yeah, Rudiger's back. So, this back three has really helped solidify the defense a little better as well. And, you know, it hasn't been super high scoring for Chelsea, and I wasn't expecting it to be, but... I think first for Tuchel, I think his mind right now is just get a solid defense, get this team to not concede any goals, and then we'll find the goals later from just the pure magic of the fact that we have four midfielders that are starting caliber that can all create goals. And then Chelsea also have freaking Werner, Tammy Abraham. Like the list goes on. Like yeah. even Pulisic at times, you can play him up top. Just yeah. I, I think there was an interview, like I think Werner had mentioned that um uh he like he was basically he said he's kind of relieved being in like a having like a manager that's kind of putting him in positions where he prefers to play and can also score because obviously with uh Lampard, pretty much Werner was playing exclusively on the wing for some reason, like left wing almost all the time. So now uh Tuchel's finally putting Werner in like his preferred position as striker. So maybe he might start picking up some form and scoring and you know, kind of showing off some of that money that Chelsea splashed on him. It's kind of crazy that even Warner has to kind of get this treatment of struggling while at Chelsea because it's, it's it's like Cal Freezy, the uh, YouTube, the FIFA mm-hmm. YouTuber, literally had a tweet that really depicted t- Warner's time at Chelsea really well, at least in my opinion, as an, an analogy. But he was like, "Why is Timo Warner in practice getting like?" A treatment like when he would score a goal or do something good, like how the sidemen would treat Vic Star when he would score a goal <laughs> in the charity match. Because like Vic Star is the equivalent of someone who's never played soccer before and like he barely trained and then he trained enough for the charity match to actually score a goal and that's like a really big deal. And then for Warner, it's like he's getting the same treatment, but he literally was like the supposed to be the star player going into this. He was supposed to be the backpack, <laughs> but. <laughs> All of a sudden, now it's like he's like he's gone through so much. He's, you know, he had to really give him the care and just the the nurturing that you, know, you wouldn't I, really expect from someone like him. I feel like Chelsea haven't had a good number nine since Diego Costa left when they won the title with him. Because then they had Morata, then Giroud. Who's who is after Morata? Who is uh, really like Tammy Abraham? Yeah, Tammy Abraham was decent. I feel like he's been their last decent one, but like Costa, Diego Costa took him to like. That next, the next level. level, yeah, and they haven't really had that next level striker. I mean, that's why they bought Werner because they thought he was going to be that. 
but he really hasn't. So mm-hmm. I, if I, if I were to add, answer that question about Tuchel, I don't think this is going to be sustainable because I just don't like Chelsea and I don't want them to <laughs> be in the top four. But no, I actually don't think it will because like Tyler said, I think he's a very um, tactical mind. He's not like a vibes coach where it's like, all right, you know, just play free and, you know, be, be, you know, be happy and, you know, just do whatever you want now. Uh, this guy is like a very tactical, like tactician. Like he wants to develop his style, his, his uh, pressing, his, um, his way of playing and everything. And right now it's good, but I don't think it's going to be sustainable. Um, so I, 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 I don't think they can keep this up, but I do think they have now put themselves in a position where they can actually challenge for top four and they are legitimately going to be fighting for top four now. So Chelsea have uh, done some good business by uh, getting Tuco in, but uh, moving on to sort of our last point before I preview, um, I want to throw this off to Tyler. It was a very controversial incident that happened in the West Ham Fulham game at the end. Yeah, it was a somewhat boring game, like the West Ham Fulham game, honestly, because it was a nil-nil. But the controversy that kind of popped up at the very end was just Mike Dean, the, the referee in charge of this game. He's the king of giving out the red cards. And a lot of people are saying... Even me at times is like he kind of makes the game about him. Like he likes the spotlight on him. So in this game, he gave Suchek, Thomas Suchek, a 96 minute red card because he accidentally elbowed a player or just like, you know, swung an arm by accident. And then Fellaini. Yeah. Like even like Suchek doesn't even have the the resume of Fellaini where like it could happen. <laughs> but like Suchek is, you know, they just, he just gave it to him. And, mm-hmm. Mike D even went to the VAR, looked at the board, looked at the monitor and decided after taking time to give him the red card at the very last second of the game. It's like, why? That's brutal. (laughs) It's so brutal. And Mike Dean was also the same ref for the Man U or Southampton game where he gave uh, Jankowicz, like the youth player. A red card within the first. Well, I I think that was actually. I I think that was deserving though, because he like basically high high booted McTominay right in the knee. Yeah, that was more deserved. But the one like the second one against Bednarek was really harsh. Yeah, and that was very Mike Dean thing to do. Yeah, and that ultimately I felt like what's was a big reason why you know Southampton lost nine nil too. It's just like they're just. Losing to the refs, you know, it's just like Mahomes versus <laughs> the refs in the Super Bowl. But that's, that's a whole other episode. But anyways, but Mike Dean, he got a lot of social media backlash. He got a lot of like, unfortunately, he got like a lot of death threats. And it's like, well, I don't know why people are still doing things like that. You know, it's just things that are just happening more frequently, I feel like, or at least getting more attention. Mm-hmm. And it's caused him to say that you won't be refing this upcoming weekend. And... You know he's going to take a, a short break from it, but that's it's it's a shame to see both ends where you know Mike Dean gave out the red card, but also just the consequence of that too. It's kind of rough to see, but it's it's also kind of interesting to think about where it's enough voices on social media, like you know, were kind of said, and then that that caused Mike Dean to you know have to step down. Step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying it's like Mike Dean finally gave himself a red card. And I was like, ah, this is too soon. But all both of his red cards they gave out for Suchek and Bednarek were both rescinded as well. Mm-hmm. So I think this might just be maybe a time for Mike Dean to take a step back and kind of like rethink how he's really going through these kind of <clears throat> decisions because they are a little controversial and it's actually starting to Fight make some 
yeah affect the game and unfortunately as a consequence of that it's just you know those bozos on social media are just getting in the heads of and him now the the beauty of social media is that it can really like cultivate uh a following and you can also you know drive a message you know towards a greater good but as we've seen recently that it can also spew a lot of hate and that's also not very good and it, it's just you know yes mike dean has made some very bad calls but the fact that you i think they said it best in like a broadcast they're like at the end of the day this is a game and this is just a game like yeah like if he's made bad red cards they're gonna try their best to resend them and yeah if it doesn't happen it sucks but it's just a game and the fact that you're like sending death threats to someone because of the outcome of a game they're like uh they basically said you kind of need a wake-up call and a reality check you know um it's just you know i know we care about these clubs a lot and like we want them to succeed and when they don't it hurts us a lot because we invest a lot into it but we also have to take a step back that this team isn't just our life like we have more to life than just this team you know yeah Um, so it's one of those things you kind of have to take a step back and just reevaluate like hey what, what what are we doing here you know what am i doing here you know uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that because they kind of hide behind a fake profile and, you know, fake Twitter account and stuff and just post whatever. But, yeah, you never want to see that. It's unfortunate. Hopefully, Mike Dean can, you know, as Tyler said, recover, take a break and just, you know, get back to, you know, performing at a high level as a referee. But that was a very, very controversial incident that happened in that game. But we wanted to move uh, topics over to the preview section. We have some pretty big games actually in the Premier League this weekend. It seems like these games are coming really fast and they are. We have um, the first one, which is actually not even the biggest one. For most weekends, that would probably be probably one of the biggest ones. We have Leicester City versus Liverpool. Brendan Rodgers versus his old team. Jurgen Klopp versus Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers right now and his Leicester City side are in third place. And I think if they win, they would leap Manchester United and go into second place. And it's a pretty big game because right now, I would say even though Leicester are not playing at the best level right now, I I think I would probably have to give the I would have to shift the odds over to Leicester City. I think they are a little bit more in form, but I don't think they have enough to beat Liverpool. So I'm I'm actually going to go with a one-one draw for this game. I feel like I always roast Brandon Rogers for not being able to keep form in the second half of the season, and that drop has not happened yet, which yeah. is a little alarming. I feel like Liverpool are facing them a little too soon. <laughs> but, you know, it's not our decision. But I will say, I, remember last season when Le- Leicester City were rolling and then they played Liverpool and then Liverpool smacked them like 4-1 and Trent scored like that wonder goal at like right back and then basically derailed Leicester's title hopes. It's kind of like in the opposite position now where it's like Leicester, it's like Liverpool are the ones that need the confidence boost and now Leicester coming in like hosting Liverpool, you know? I, I really think of... Liverpool played the way that they did against City. Liverpool can't get the result. They can get like a 2-0 even or like a 2-1. But I feel like Leicester, they're also rolling at the same time. They're coming in hot. It's going to be a really close game. Third versus fourth. Who would have thought, honestly? (laughs) Who would have thought it'd be a Leicester versus Liverpool title? or Not title race, but like top four. Mm -hmm. Big kind of result that will ultimately decide, I think, maybe the outcome of the end of the season because like it's these little games that you have to win to you know kind of leapfrog or like push someone down below you and then just make sure you guarantee your spot but for me i'm gonna say liverpool coming off this loss in men's city they need a bounce back they're gonna have the motivation 
And I think they'll just barely get the one one. <laughs> <laughs> not even the not even the win. It's just the one one. Oh, so Tyler's already gotten to that stage of the fandom. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, like, eh, I don't think we're gonna win, but I feel like we're optimistic enough to get the draw. <laughs> yeah. But all right, so we both got one one there. Then we have another exciting matchup: Arsenal versus Leeds. As we all know, Leeds are always box office whenever they do play against big six sides. It's always a ton of goals, a ton of action, ton of drama. I think this game will have. All of that because the way Leeds like to play, it's going to make this game really fun. And Arsenal are a very undisciplined side at times where they get a lot of red cards. They, I think they're since Arteta has been there, they had the most red cards in the Premier League, which is crazy. But I, I think this game is going to be really fun. Um, I, I think this game will finish. Uh, I'm, I actually, I'm going to go two-two. I think it will be, I think it'll be a ton of goals, but I don't think either team is good enough to get the victory. Dang, are we going to just have the same score <laughs> <laughs> prediction for every single one? But Leeds also is, you know, they're a top five team in terms of scoring in the Premier League, but they're also a top five team in conceding goals in the Premier League, which is yeah. crazy. Like, usually it's one or the other, not both. So Leeds, you know, these games are always high scoring. Arsenal, not really. So I don't know. I could see Leeds winning this, actually. Oh, I could wow, see them winning like 3 2. Going to the Emirates, winning 3-2. Going to the Emirates, but right now it's not not the best. <laughs> so you're going 3-2. So, mm-hmm. Or All even 3-1. Right. No, I'm going to say 3-1. Oh, That's a wow. Big prediction, 3-1. Oh, wow. Okay. Leeds coming into the Emirates and blowing Arsenal out. That's what Tyler's going for. I'm going to go for the more um, I safer bet, I would say, 2-2. I'm going for a 2-2 draw there. And then finally, we have the biggest match of the weekend. We got Jose Mourinho versus Pep Guardiola. Jose Mourinho's side is... Uh, on pretty much free fall right now. I feel like they're losing pretty much every game. They did pick up a victory um, in their most recent game, but in these big matchups, they definitely have failed to live up to the hype. But I will say Harry Kane, a team, a Tottenham team with Harry Kane is much different than a Tottenham team without Harry Kane. It's like once they have Harry Kane, they like turn into monsters again. And if there's one manager that has always gotten under Pep Guardiola's skin, it's Jose Mourinho. He, uh, he knows how to push the buttons with any manager. And I know the way Mourinho is. He's going to make this a dogfight. He's going to make it a you versus us mentality. He's going to tell Tottenham players to just go all out. He's going to tell Lamella to be like the dirtiest player of all time on this match. <laughs> Do something really shady. And just because I want to see City get derailed and their title, like just slow down the momentum. I think um, Tottenham can win this game. I, and I'm going to go with the 2-1 Tottenham victory because I think with Harry Kane and Hyunmin Sun firing, it's pretty much their only offense. It's just those two. And when they're when they're, when they're they're playing, they can score goals. So I'm going to go with a 2-1 classic Jose Mourinho dogfight win over City. This is a very big mind game of a game where it's, you're just going to be watching the managers as much as you're watching the players. It's going to be a big... I could see, you know, Jose Mourinho pulling out his big classic park the bus style because, you know, Pep Guardiola is going to have more possession by mm-hmm. far, like 60 to maybe even 70 percent possession. And it's just going to be on Tottenham to just hold the wall and just get them on the counterattack. I think it's going to be a very frustrating game for City. And I think with Harry Kane in is going to have to give Tottenham some respect from that city side they're gonna have they can't just like all be pressing they're gonna have to put some players back mm-hmm. now actually low-key helping the defense for tottenham i think there might be a red card wouldn't be surprised 
but I've been saying this for most games, most big games this season, and I've been wrong (laughs) half the time, but I'm going to say it again because I could see it happen because, you know, Tottenham low-key a little desperate right now, and I'm going to say a nil-nil. Oh, man. That's what you hate to see, but it, it could happen the way Mourinho likes to play. I just think that Mourinho is just going to get this 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 uh, this squad of his very fired up because it's like knowing him. I remember w- during that 16-17 season when Manchester United were completely out of the title race and Chelsea came into Old Trafford and Chelsea were on that roll where they were basically going to run away with the title and then somehow United picked up a 2-1 victory. I think Jose Mourinho knows that this side is probably not going to win the title, but he just loves playing like the villain and playing the, you know, playing spoiler. And if he can do anything to just stop the momentum, I think he's going to take advantage of that. And that's classic Jose Mourinho. So that's why I'm going to go with the 2-1 Tottenham victory. But I wanted to quickly ask you this. There's been a lot of conversation on Gareth Bale. And Gareth Bale has barely played in the Premier League this season. Like, he doesn't come off the bench at all. And in a lot of ways, I feel like this signing has been some sort of a, a kind of a flop because he just hasn't played enough. And a lot of people are talking about it. And I wanted to know your thoughts because... I am a little sad that we haven't seen a lot of Gareth Bale because I still think Gareth Bale is a quality player. Yeah, he gets injured a lot, but he still, there was a reason he was at Madrid for this long. He still has a lot of quality in those boots and especially that left foot of his. For me, I get an earful of how bad Gareth Bale is from (laughs) our good friend listener, Sung Min, because he's a big Tottenham fan. But every single week, it's like clockwork. It's like, it's freaking Bale. And every single time Bale takes the field and we, we expect so much from Bale because we've seen what he can do we've seen him carry Wales we've seen him ruin the hearts of all Liverpool fans in the Champions League final with a bicycle kick we've seen him basically carry Tottenham back in his younger days he he's done so much but right now those expectations and who he is as a player are just so vastly different that it's just going to be disappointment every time we see him even Mourinho's sad. He's more sad than usual to the point where he's just passive-aggressively roasting him in post-game interviews. <laughs> I really do think the expectation, like that gap of expectations and what we see in him are so big that he is literally the flop of the season to the point where it's like, I don't think he's going to... If Mourinho wants anything out of this game, he's not going to play him. Dang. It's like that now. I, mm-hmm. I still one of those. I just want to see that bail... Because I, I will say this, I wasn't lucky enough to watch Bale when he was in the Premier League because I, I didn't start watching Premier League then. So a part of me is like, I want to see some of these like vintage moments, like that free kick where he scored against Southampton or just like vintage stuff like that. Like I want to see Bale like that. But obviously, I know that was like 24-year-old Bale who had like a bunch of pace and he was still not injury prone at that time. Um, but man, part of me still wants to see like classic Gareth Bale because that dude was insane. Even at Real Madrid still one of the best players in the world well like william <laughs> that version has died oh. now it's old man golf bail <laughs> <laughs> oh man but that's what i want to see maybe gareth bale might get a little bit of minutes and some action there but we'll see what happens but really that um kind of wraps up episode 106 for us as we always say you can follow us at the premiere pod on twitter and instagram you can also subscribe to us on our youtube page at the premiere pod where we post the video versions of our of our podcast and you know if you want to share this podcast with one of your friends that'll be great too if you can um if not that's totally fine we do appreciate just giving you just you taking the time out of your day to give us a listen um we always appreciate the support in any way we can and if you want to also support the show you can support on itunes if you can leave us a rating and review on there 
But as always, if a listen is totally fine. Um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up season three, episode 106 for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Peace. Peace.